Hello and welcome to Debating Metal, the podcast where we discuss and dissect the hard rock and heavy metal bands we all know and love. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Kay. Today, it's episode 49. It's the final part of our three-part series, Thrash Metal, The Big Four, and more. In this finale of the trilogy, we head into the new millennium and discuss some of the bands that flew the flag for Thrash. We also catch up with The Big Four and see where the 2000s took them. As we know, Thrash took a downturn in the 90s with the arrival of grunge, groove, and new metal, yet some bands forged ahead while others wouldn't return to the genre until the 2000s Thrash resurgence. We're going to discuss the path some of the bands we spoke about in our previous two episodes took and where they are now after 20 plus years. In the last two weeks, we picked the best of Thrash, but this week we're going to be taking a look at the worst of the worst with our Big Four Worst Big Four albums. Stick around until the end of the episode because you're going to want to hear this, because really you're not going to want to hear these albums. If you missed the first two parts of our Thrash series, be sure to go back and listen to those to hear our Big Four albums by the Big Four of Thrash and our Big Four non-Big Four albums. And as always, we'll have Rusty Metal and Freshly Forged picks for you. As a reminder, Rusty Metal is where I dive into the archives and pick an album I think is worth listening to again. And the Freshly Forged is where Chris recommends a new release he thinks you will enjoy. And finally, if you missed our last episode or any of the previous ones, be sure to click subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform and get our latest episode delivered to your phone, tablet, or any other connected device every Friday so you don't miss a thing. We also want to read your opinions on these or any of our other topics. So if you like what we had to say or just want to rip us a new one, send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com or message us on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. And be sure to check out our social media as you'll find Kenneth Dean with new videos every week detailing more of his rusty metal pick. And speaking of rusty metal, what did you find in the scrap heap this week? (laughs) Uh, All right. Um, this week I found, whew, I found something deep, deep into the archives. Agent Steel with their Mad Locust Rising EP that was released in 1986. It was released on Combat Records. It was recorded at Indigo Ranch Studios in Malibu, California in October of 1985. And it was actually self-produced by the band. All right, so Agent Steel was a band that was formed by vocalist John Cyrus after he was fired from Megadeth in 1984. So uh, for all the people out there who know a little bit about Megadeth, this, I think this is the guy that Dave Mustaine keeps talking about when he says the lead singer we had bought us a 24-pack of beer and we decided to fire him in the middle of it and we just waited until we were finished with the 24-pack and then we fired him. That's that's Dave's story. <laughs> but Okay. <laughs> exactly. The EP contains four tracks, three of which are really full songs. The fourth song is a 17-second instrumental that, that is attached to the title track. Uh, it was recorded after their guitar player, Kurt Colfelt, left the band and was replaced by Bernie Versailles. The EP contains a killer version of Judas Priest, The Ripper. Um, that's basically the main reason I got into it back in the day because I saw that and I was like, ooh, someone's covering Judas Priest, The Ripper. I got to check this out. I heard it and it was, it was great. So the band... Uh, would end up having a tremendous amount of, of turnover, lineup changes every other week virtually. Uh, and so that was part of the reason why they ever they never really got off the ground. They had signed a record deal with Capitol Records, but 
in 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 signing them because because Capital had just signed Megadeth, so they 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 had some connection with that, and and so they signed Agent Steel to to Capital, but they told them, all right, you're gonna have to wait until the new year to release the album because because of they had already done all their their spent all their money, you know, the budget wise and all that stuff. So they were waiting for the budget to open up. When the new year came around, budgets changed, people changed, and they basically dropped Agent Steel, partly partly because of the budget reasons, and second because the band had changed lineup again. So they just said, you know what, we're gonna scrap this and and we're not releasing the album. In the meantime, Combat went ahead and said, you know what, we'll go ahead and release it. So they released their, their next album, which was uh, Skeptics, uh, no, it was Unstoppable Force, and they were able to get the album out, but again, little distribution in comparison to what Capitol Records would have done for them. So a little bit about the band, the vocalist sounds to me like an exaggerated version of Jeff Tate. Queen of the Reich era, Jeff Tate, in fact. So that, that tells you a little bit about what, what he sounds like. And in 1987, James Murphy of Death Fame joined the band and toured with them in Europe until basically they went to go in to record the next album, which James was not a part of. In 1988, the band was put on suspension by Combat Records, and they would not release another album for Combat. The suspension lasted three years or basically until their record contract expired. To this day, there's been no reason given as to why the band was put on suspension. Really kind of odd thing, but the band reformed years later, and they've had a resurgence, and they've released albums since then. Probably not, obviously not to the same scale, not the same exact band, but pretty cool. They were essentially a thrash metal band out of the 80s, but... We, um, with the emphasis on the speed portion of, of thrash. So there you go. Hmm. That's my rusty pick of the week. What do you got for freshly forged? Well, I, I've never even heard of this band, um, which is interesting. And it seems like they've got a few releases from, uh, they, they're even put one out this year. So, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I'll probably detail them a little bit more. I don't, uh, on, uh, the, Rusty Metal Plus video that comes out next week. All right. So. Yeah, so be sure to check that out on uh, social media. All right. So for my Freshly Forged this week, I went into kind of just listening to everything that came out in the last week. And this is a band that I really haven't heard in probably, I want to say, almost 15 years. Uh, when I was listening to them, I, they were a death metal band, but they're not anymore. They're a symphonic metal band, and it's Therian. Uh, they just released an album called Leviathan. I guess it's part of a three-part a three-part album release, which will happen over the next two years, uh, at least planned so. And I was I was pretty interested. I thought I thought that was a good pick for this week because it's probably a band that a lot of Americans don't really have you know a lot of knowledge of, and especially since they have changed their style drastically from what I heard. Uh, the the singer and guitarist that was uh, you know originally the in those roles he is no longer the singer and he has hired two other people to uh, a man and a woman to to fill in that role and change the band dr- dr- just dramatically into symphonic metal 
and that's that's a genre I've never really stepped too much into. I've listened to Symphony X and some you know some stuff like that, but this was pretty interesting. I listened to the album uh, a little bit earlier, and I thought it was pretty cool. So definitely be sure to check that out. It, again, it's it's Therian Leviathan, and uh, it it is available now. <laughs> All right. I've heard the name. I've seen the name before. You know, as obviously as I read, read Blabbermouth and Loudwire and all those other online magazines. So I've seen the name before. Never heard them. So it would be interesting to to, to get a comparison of what they used to sound like to what they sound like now. Yeah, they're it's it's funny. They're they're actually named after Celtic Frost to Megatherian. Uh, very death metal sound when they first started the typical 1980s death metal, you know, album covers. Uh, but now just something different, more, more like epic, more again, symphonic, but kind of focus on like the, the, um, you know, magical elements, which is really an interesting change. Wow. Cool. Well, I'll definitely check it out. All right. Well, that brings us to the main topic for this evening, and that's part three of Thrash Metal, The Big Four and More. And this time we're going to recap uh, a couple of the bands that we went over with last week uh, or add a few more of the these bands from the 90s. Uh, and then we're going to forge forward and see the bands that, that flew the flag for metal in the early 2000s. And then we're going to catch up with The Big Four and see what they did uh, in the 2000s as well. Chris, why don't you lead us on this? All right, so we're going to start with a band we talked about last week, and that's uh, Creator. Now, we mentioned a little bit about they had they had kind of drifted off into new metal, uh, industrial groove, uh, gothic, and th- they actually came back in 2001 with Violent Revolution. And this album in the metal scene was seen as one of the catalysts of the 2000s thrash revival. It was such a big change, and it was such a big album worldwide that it really changed the view again. You know, like we 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 mentioned that when Metallica did the Black album, it just blew everybody's mind. This wasn't quite the same level, but it hit a lot of the ears of actual musicians, and they said, "Wow, this is something we can go back to. This is something we can do," and it it served as as kind of a tipping point to get. The, the thrash scene back in the world. And Violent Revolution was a huge, huge success for them. They went on to do Enemy of God and Hordes of Chaos. And Hordes of Chaos was actually, in 2009, was the first time they charted in the, Ameri- or the, the United States at number 165. That's not very high, but that's huge for a German band that really didn't have a lot of push in America. That is pretty good because, uh, especially nowadays, where you know record sales are strictly off of SoundScan, you know, just to just to hit the top two hundred means you've you've pushed some records. Especially back in that day in two thousand nine. Today it's so different because of streaming and all that. So I, I thought there would never be a day where bands would get gold or platinum records again, but now they they have equivalents for amounts of streams and stuff like that. So they they'll give you the 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 gold or platinum record based on a combination of sales and streams and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. But hitting 165 back in 2009 when when it was straight sales, that's not bad. That's pretty impressive. No, especially for for metal. I mean, it just you know, it changing world, more pop world, you know, just 
for for a band that again didn't have a, a huge amount of distribution in the US it was pretty impressive uh 2012 2017 they released Phantom Antichrist and Gods of Violence um Gods of Violence actually ended up winning the 2017 Metal Storm Award for best thrash metal album so for a band that deviated so far away from what they were doing it was great to see something like that return and they're both great albums um the band is continuing on in the thrash realm um you know it's it's good to see such a return to form as i've said before in in previous episodes uh creators one of my favorite uh thrash bands so it's really good to see this going <clears throat> i know moving on oh go ahead i'm sorry for no, me i i was never really a big fan of creator we kind of mentioned that last week um i have listened to a couple of the things that you've picked out recently and and i was impressed with it i i, I like what I heard, um, actually in, in researching for this, I had so much to listen to that I can only pick like one or two songs from each of these bands. And and some of the stuff I had to rely on just memory, but I listened to the first song of a violent revolution today. And I thought that was a pretty good song. And I, you know, I was specifically listening to the drumming because there is such a distinct style when it comes to drumming for thrash and and I mm-hmm. and I liked what I heard. I, it definitely was a thrash song that I listened to, and it was pretty cool. So I give them props for for sticking it out and and basically reinventing themselves like four or five times over. So that's pretty cool. Oh yeah. All right. So moving on, we're going to go back to Testament. Testament. Uh, it had you know gone through kind of a a semi breakup where they were just stagnant for a while. Didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, they did a, a, a release in 2001 called first strike still deadly. And if you go back that we, we talked about, uh, bands re-recording their music in an earlier episode, this was covered in that one. So be sure to check that out. But, uh, this was the only early 2000s release for Testament. And it was a reunion of sorts with Alex Skolnick, John Tempesta, and Steve Souza, who actually recorded two tracks on it. Uh, but then there was kind of a, a lull in the band for a while. Testament, for me, the, the 2000s, to me, for Testament, were just... Uh, I, I can't remember what I read recently, but they, they, they struggled you know, with, with members of the band. They struggled with management. They struggled with record companies. So there was a lot to that that they had to basically try and rebuild for themselves. And I think they really did a good job when they finally did a reform and they, they came out with the album Formation of Damnation. Oh, yeah. I mean, at Formation of Damnation was uh, the band kind of re- finding themselves in a way. Um, Alex Skolnick and Greg Christian both rejoined the band for this album. It actually featured Paul Bostoff on drums, which is interesting because between uh, Dave Lombardo, John Ditt, Deddy, and and uh, Paul Bostoff, all three actually at one point were members of, of Testament, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then Steve Souza was on backup vocals. So you see that kind of the family of of the the testament you know or the family of testament uh reforming which is cool um steve souza if if it, it may seem odd for him to be there and their relationship and steve souza to actually record a couple songs in there but he and chuck billy are actually really good friends and they they actually have another band together so there it does seem odd when like two of the singers from a band would 
would have that kind of relationship. But uh, I, I think it's actually kind of cool. It shows that, there, you know, there's there's good intentions all the way across. Yeah, I don't think there ever was any animosity when Steve Souza left Testament to join Exodus. So I, I don't think that was there was animosity there, but there may have been at the time, but it's all water under the bridge. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, album that you're referring to, the band that you're referring to, uh, that I know of, I know I don't know if there's more, is Dublin Death Patrol, which That's um, the one. they are the... Um, you know, Dublin is an area in San Francisco Bay area. So it's it's like a suburb of San Francisco. And so they're all from there, or a couple of guys are from there. They put that band together. They released a, a an album, at least one, and I have it. And it's really cool. They have a great cover of UFOs Lights Out on there. So it's it's pretty neat. If you get a chance to listen to it on Spotify or if you get a chance to, to pick it up somewhere, do so because it's really good. With both vocalists on there, it's it's pretty impressive. But yeah, I, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yes, I do like, um, as I mentioned before on that previous episode when we talked about covers, uh, or the re- not covers, but the re-recordings of bands' albums, the First Strike Still Deadly LP, I actually am in favor of it. I, I read a lot of reviews. People didn't like it so much. Uh, I like the, the modern recording of it, uh, and I like the fact that Steve Souza did a couple of songs on there. I think I mentioned last week that I prefer, though, Chuck Billy's version of Alone in the Dark. Um, but needless to say, Steve Souza still does a good job, and it's nice to hear Souza's version of it. So. Yeah, especially since he's the guy who wrote those songs. Exactly. So, so moving on, uh, the band actually did a, an album called Dark, Dark Roots of the Earth in 2012, which was really the culmination of that re that reformation in a way this was the highest ranking position that they'd ever had in the billboard 200 at number 12 that's pretty big for 2012 uh testament you know a band that that had kind of a a rocky start ups and downs you know a, a, a not deformation but the but a time when they were really stagnant had come back and hit their highest peaks and this was a big deal i, think, I know you love the album uh, it's one of my favorite testament albums if not my favorite testament album it, it is a great album i mean if i listen to that very often because it's just some there's something about there's a you can't even call the word angst in there there's a lot of hate <laughs> I mean, they have a song called "True American Hate," but there's a lot of anger in that album, and I think that's it. It, it comes across really well. It's done very well. It's recorded mm-hmm. very well. Um, so everything sounds great. Gene Hoglan is playing out of his mind on that album. So it, it's it is really really good. It was one of those things when he joined the band and he went to record the album. You know, they told him, you know, Chuck Billy and, and, and Eric Peterson told him, do whatever you want to do. And he says, look, if I do whatever I want to do, if anybody ever comes after me, they're not going to be able to do it. And he's they're like, do whatever you want, you know. And, <laughs> and the cool thing about it is that he's been there ever since. Um, it, it, not that he's a permanent member, but yeah, I mean, he's a, technically a permanent member, but not. I don't think he wants to go anywhere because right now he has the, the luxury of being in a band that is, that is generating income and he's got it regular income. And then he's also doing side projects and getting his stuff done. So I don't, I don't think there's a lot of conflict there. So I think that's why he's been able to stay in the band as long as he has. Cause I think this is the longest he's been with any regular band. that's not been his own. 
Uh, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, he 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 is. It's funny. It's him and Steve DiGiorgio, and they have a they have such a history with death. But they were both in and out of the band several times, and that was just the nature of of those guys. They just they liked to do anything and everything all the time. And they, they didn't want to make that commitment. But I think, you know, being older and being, you know, more stable in a way is, is, is working for them. And the band sounds great. These these last few albums have been killer. And they Chuck Billy's vocals, I think, have only gotten stronger with time. And that's, that's one thing I, I've really enjoyed about them, these albums, is that he has... has you know, experimented all throughout the years. We talked about how they did death metal vocals at one point. They, they he did did more singing. You know, just really experimented. But now he's really understanding his voice entirely, and that's what's made these these last few albums just really good. Yeah, they figured themselves out, and they have done some really good stuff since since two thousand eight. So it's been twelve years now. Or 13, they're going on their 13th year where they've really, really found who they are again. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then with, with again in 2016, they released Brotherhood of the Snake uh, with, with actually hitting number 20 on the Billboard 200. And then last year they released Titans of Creation, both great albums. So Testament has really fallen back into thrash and and even more so incorporated all those elements of of the experimentation that they took over the years found all the best things and and really just found their niche and that's that's really good to hear for a band that uh you know started or started in the early thrash movement and is now you know just really prospering absolutely all right so moving on to another band we talked about last week uh with overkill overkill is one of those bands that that is just hardworking. If you look at their discography, you could see basically every two to three years they release an album, and that's been consistent from their origins to now. Uh, that's not very common for a band. It's it's especially one that's been around this long. Um, two thousand, they were still working in in groove metal sound, but uh, then in two thousand three, they released Killbox thirteen and really returned to their thrash sound and haven't let up since. I I personally feel that ever since two thousand ten, they kind of really hit that groove with Ironbound, uh, Electric Age, White Devil Armory, The Grinding Wheel, and The Wings of War have all been much better, and they've really hit their sound. Overkill, and I think this is this is going to be true for a lot of the bands we're going to talk about. It, it wasn't just the, the turning into the 2000s. It was the 2010s that really got thrash metal back into the into the spotlight, if you will. Um, and but it, it not only it, they got into the spotlight, but they actually did good stuff. And I think that's the reason why there was such a resurgence. I mean, with Testament, yeah, they they did Formation of Damnation. Uh, going into the end of the decade, but it, you know, they really found their groove on dark roots of the earth. So there was that four year period that they, they, they really found themselves overkill. Same thing, you know, to me, yeah, they had bloodletting Killbox 13 relics, 14 immortalis. Those were okay albums. They had one or two songs on each album that, that did okay, but it wasn't until Ironbound, like you just said to 2010, where they really nailed it. And they have mm-hmm. they have been on a roll ever since. I mean, they've released five albums in that time, 
Uh, I believe they're they're getting ready to work on their their sixth album since then. You know, f- that should be released by the end of this year, if not early next year. And they they're just they're just clicking on all cylinders. And that was the last band that we saw before the pandemic shut everything down. We were right there, front row on the rail. You know, and that was that was mm-hmm. a great show. Yeah, it's it's good to see again a band that's really kind of found their their groove, their niche, and and gone with it. Uh, and I've like I've said, I I never really was a big fan of of Overkill, but these last few albums have been very strong, and it's it's good to see that Thrash is is kind of resurging and and uh, capable of being a viable genre again. For sure, and I think I think too they they've really they've really redefined themselves in not just Overkill, but just all these thrash bands have definitely redefined themselves and and have have uh, the word I can't remember they've accepted their history and they've mm-hmm. they've you know blended that in with everything that they've learned over the years and they've just they're coming out with great music. And kudos to Overkill because they have J- uh, Jason Bittner as their drummer, and Jason is the utmost professional musician when it comes to drumming. That that dude knows what he's talking about, and it's not just because he's a great drummer, but he's a great musician. He knows the 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 music behind drumming. He knows the 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 theory. The theory. Yeah. yeah, and so it, he's not just a, a musician. He's you know he knows the theory behind drumming, behind all music. So he's added an element of professionalism to Overkill that that was just lacking a little bit, and they've acknowledged it themselves. So you know, kudos to them. I, I look forward to hearing some new music from them either later this year or, or early next year. Absolutely. And the last band we want to recap uh, that we talked about last week is Exodus. Now, Exodus had broken up in, in 1993, and they reformed again in 1997 briefly with Paul ba- Bailoff as the singer, uh, replacing Steve Souza. They again reformed in 2001. However, Paul Bailoff would pass away in 2002, leading to Steve Souza to be reinvited into the band. Uh, this led to them actually recording an album in two th- or for 2004 and that was tempo of the damned it was the first time that they had ever kind of gone back in their career um try- kind of looked at who they were when they first started they even pulled one of their old songs out of the out of the songbook which was impaler the only track they have cr- co-credited to kirk hammett of metallica um this this was a, a resurgence of that their origins in a way however it it wouldn't quite last as as unfortunately they would end up breaking up with steve souza within a short amount of time i want to say it was nine or ten months into this run after the release of the album um steve souza obviously is a complicated person for them at least um and so i mean to have the relationship that they've had where he's been in and out of the band is is one of those things that's very reminiscent to almost like Joey Belladonna with Anthrax. It's like they want something different. They 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 know what they have in 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 Steve, but they really want something different. But they know that they need Steve to succeed. 
it's it's one of those weird things. They they know they need this particular person in the band for them to succeed. Anthrax knows that they need Joey Belladonna on vocals for them to be relevant. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they they've they've come to accept that because they went through everything. They brought John Joey back, and they said then they brought John back, and then John's, you know, he left and they, they decided to go somewhere else and got Dan Nelson, but then they realized Dan Nelson wasn't the answer. So they went back to Joey and they basically said, if it, if it doesn't work with Joey, we're done, you know, so they, they're making it work. This is the same thing here with Exodus, you know, with Steve Souza, they need, they need Steve to make it work. You know, it did not work for them in 2004 and they went and looked somewhere else to get a vocalist that was with them for a while, Rob Dukes. You know, he recorded several albums with them. So, you explain a little bit more about those albums. Yeah. So, so basically, they went on tour, and Steve Souza abandoned the band. He just left, and it really caused some major friction between him and Gary Holt, which lasted for a decade. Uh, so they hired Rob Dukes, and it was interesting that the band actually was pretty well reviewed during this time. Uh, at least for their first album, Shovel Headed Kill. Now, I've listened to this album, and I can say it's it's a pretty decent album. His vocals are, at times, very similar to Steve Souza's when he does... He do, It's almost as, as if he's intentionally trying to kind of mimic the sound. Um, but he also has much harsher vocals, and I think it's more accessible in a way, uh, especially to a modern audience. Um, this, the first album featured, uh, Paul Bostoff on drums again. So you're seeing that, that thrash connection with a lot of these guys, you know, especially drummers going from band to band. Um, and it, it actually sold better than Tempo the Damned. So you could see for them, it was something that worked out first. Uh, then they released Atrocity, uh, the Atrocity Exhibition Exhibit A, which was supposed to be part of a two-parter that was supposed to be back-to-back, like 2007-2008 release. However, they kind of took a detour when they released Let There Be Blood, and I think that was a really big misstep for them. That It was a re-recording of Bonded by Blood, their first album, with Rob Dukes on vocals, and it really upset a lot of people in, in that they thought it was just a cash-in, you know, like... Oh, we're we're just gonna re-record the one album that's just uh, a, a a classic and get money off of people, and it just kind of derailed their their progress as a band. You know, we talked about on on that episode where we talked about bands re-recording their music. There's a reason why, and a lot of the reasons why is is beyond the the, the normal fan, and, and the normal fan doesn't care, but. Essentially, if you look at the date in 2008 that came out, if I'm not mistaken, um, the the early songs, their first album came out in 85, but mm-hmm. I, if I'm not, I don't know how it works exactly, but some of those songs may have been, um, not trademarked, I guess, submitted to copyright prior to that. But anyway... The, the point being is it's about, it's a roughly about a 25 year period where they, you know, you have to figure out what you're going to do with your songs. And in order for you to get certain rights and benefits to those songs, you literally have to put your performance back out again. And that's what a lot of bands have done. So in this particular case, I don't believe that they own the rights to the first album. So that has a lot to do with it. They re-recorded the album 
yes, it was, it was, it threw a wrench in the plans that they had. The versions are not terrible in comparison. Um, I mean, to, to, to modernize that first album is not a bad thing because the album wasn't the greatest sounding in the world, but, um, obviously the energy is different, you know, so there's, there's mm-hmm. lots of things going against it, but at the same time, there's lots of things going for it. I don't have a problem with it. I actually like the version of Piranha on the, on, on let there be blood better than the original. Um, so that, that tells you something, but I guess I like modern sounding things or, or better sounding things. I've, I've constantly talked about that. So it sounds better to me. So I like it more. And, and I agree. I actually like the, the let there be blood version of it better, to be honest, because I've never been a huge uh, Exodus fan, but, um, we live in a world of cynics and people that, that, always are questioning the intentions and why people are doing things and we all know there's there's metallica fans that say metallica's sold out on their second album so people are going to just go to this and say well this is just a a cash in and i think that's that's really what happened here is that (laughs) unfortunately there's just cynical people yeah i i laugh at the whole idea oh this is a cash in what kind of cash were they generating i mean really not much. Okay, so I mean, they're not. It's not like they're selling millions of records. So if if you're selling a couple thousand, yeah, you're not getting that much money back. Okay, and then you have yeah. to split it five ways, and you got to split it with your managers. No, so it's to me that's not a cash in, but it is a, a matter of rights to your performance, and that's really to me what it is all about. You know, well, why didn't they do it to the second album? Why doesn't every band do it to every album? Because there's certain things. Certain things generate more money. So in in a way, it, if you want to look at it that way, is it a cash grab? Not a grab so much as it is a way to continue to generate the money that you were expecting and maybe mm-hmm. maybe get a better deal out of it. Okay. So they're not they're not in it for the immediate cash that, that a new album would get, but it, the continued royalties that you get from from existing albums if if you don't it you can now or they can now take that that album and if they for whatever reason are being asked to be put on a soundtrack or you know licensed somehow they can say they they control their licensing and that's that's what every band wants to be able to control their music and so that's really to me what it's all about so, oh sure. You know, kudos yeah, to I them. mean, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. Um, so, in 2010, they finally did release Part B. Uh, so, Exhibit B: The Human Condition, and this was the last to feature Rob Dukes before his firing in 2014. Uh, the band was, or really, he was just not very happy with what was going on in the band. There was a lot of friction, and uh, it just it just led to an eventual collapse of that lineup. However, uh, they did end up reuniting with Steve Souza. They uh, already had some material written, but an album that was going to be about 30 minutes ended up being about twice that length. So a huge change. And, uh, and you know, the, the, again, the resurgence of a band kind of in their classic lineup in 2014 you know leading into this this new era so it's interesting to see that again another another thrash band is kind of hitting their roots again i i like i like some stuff off of blood in blood out it it, it steve susan makes all the difference in the world you know what whether anyone likes it or not you know and so that that's what helps with this the other thing that helped out a little bit is that kirk hammett again lent his talents to a song be played a guitar solo 
on one on the song um, "Salt the Wound." So, so Kirk has maintained his relationship with Gary over the years, and so it hasn't been a, a, a complete you know wash with that. The album is is fantastic. What they've done, you know, I like some of the stuff that's off of "Tempo of the Damned." I like some of the stuff off of of "Shovel Headed Kill Machine." So. I, all these albums that come out, there's something on each of them that I like. I like the modernization of their their sound overall, and I I actually prefer the Steve Souza stuff over the Rob Duke stuff, even though the Rob Duke's version of you know Let There Be Blood, which is the, the remake of Bonded by Blood, I, is better to me than than the Paul Bailoff version. But kudos to Exodus to, to maintain it, you know, and kudos to to Gary Holt for being both Slayer and Exodus. So, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot of work. Yeah. But he did a good job. I mean, I, I mean, we're going to talk more about that later, but, uh, you know, he, he, it, like a lot of these guys is able to step into the role and do a very good job. So as I was glad to see that with Slayer, especially after the death of Jeff Hanneman, which was just, you know, is is very sad, you know, him being such a, a integral player in that band. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right, so moving on to an, a band that uh, we didn't talk about last week, and there was kind of a reason for that because it really ties into the next two bands that we're going to talk about. Uh, 1984, uh, the formation of a band out of uh, Belo Horizonte, Minas... <laughs> you you want to say this? Because I can't say it. <laughs> uh, I think it's Minas Gerais, uh, Brazil. I don't know exactly how that's pronounced because... Portuguese is a little bit different than Spanish. Portuguese is a little different. Yeah. So I think it's Minas Gerai. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, Sepultura. Yes. Um, Sepultura, great band uh, uh, from a different part of the world. So you're getting a little bit of, of difference in perspective, which is which is always important. We've talked about that in the last few episodes where we've got bands out of Germany. Uh, we've got bands out of, of, out of uh, Canada. We've got bands that are forming from uh switzerland or sorry from sweden so just different different perspectives across the world and this is really cool to see uh when they formed in or when they put out their first album in 1986 it was more of a death metal blackout black metal album that was morbid visions uh with schizophrenia uh not very well recorded album but it was their first really forte into true thrash and it was also their first with Andreas Kisser, who is still in the band to this day. Um, but it was 1989 with Beneath the Remains, uh, their first album on Roadrunner, where they, they really focused and said, you know, we need to up our game. We need to create an album that that is is more focused and more uh, accessible in a way, uh, at least in the thrash world, um, that improved their, their song quality. Uh, and, and and honestly, to this day, is is considered a thrash classic. Beneath the Remains is is a really good album. Um, I I don't have a, a a strong tie to the album because I got into Sepultura a few years later when they came out with KSAD. But I went when I went back and listened to it. I mean, it sounds great. It it's it's recorded well. The songs are good. I mean, Inner Self is still played to this day, if I'm not mistaken, by the band. So it tells you how good that song is because it's one of their staples. Slaves in Pain or Slaves of Pain is, is, I believe, another one of those songs. Mass Hypnosis is definitely one of those songs. They play that one a lot as well. So there's there's some good stuff on this album. And it is the classic lineup. It is basically the beginning 
Uh, I mean, schizophrenia was the first one, but it was really the beginning of the classic Sepultura sound and band. Yeah, uh, schizophrenia isn't wasn't quite there, right? Um, but but beneath the remains arise chaos AD and even roots that that's you can tell like there's the evolution of their sound. Um, so the next the next album in 1991 was Arise. Uh, this is really their introduction, uh, introduction of that uh, that groove sound, where they, you know, they're really well known for that. Especially Chaos AD had that groove, and you know, it's it's often considered like that that moment of maturity in the band before they change styles. You know, like that Master of Puppets, or you know, the so I guess what some people would consider. Um, Injustice for all, you know, just that that moment before before that that switch. Even though you could really say the same of Chaos CD. Chaos CD was one of the first that really broke the band in a way. Um, I I remember and when I was a kid, everybody knew what that that album was. So something, it, you know, it's just interesting to see a band come from a different part of the world and really find accessibility all over the world. The, the, because they're from South America, a, being being a worldwide band for some reason to me is easier coming out of South America. Because if 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 they love you in South America, you're you're going to be huge there, and that and it's easier for them to go to like an Australia type thing than it is to get to Europe for some reason. But then you know if they can get to Europe. Then all of a sudden, all they have left to do is conquer the U.S., which conquering is a, is a relative word. But in, in 95, 94, you know, I mean, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, Chaos AD came out in 93, but they toured 93, they toured 94, 95. You know, Roots, they, Roots comes out in 96, and it's a really big, you know, both those albums are really big for them. So Arise really put them on the map when it came to international success. A song like "Arise," "Dead Embryonic Cells," those they really did well with that, that with that album, and then the international bonus track was a cover of Motorhead's "Orgasmatron." That's a killer version. I love that version, and I remember hearing it back in the day, and I'm like, "Wow, oh, this is cool. I like this." Yeah, no, it's 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 awesome. Definitely check that one out if you haven't heard it. Um, but 1996 rolled around, and the band put out "Roots." Uh, this was a pretty marked change, honestly. Uh, they had moved into the groove metal entirely and really started to kind of change into new metal in a way. And this was really f- kind of pushed by the studio itself. Uh, they they kind of directed the band with the, the producers saying, this is the direction you need to go. This is the, the, you know, capitalize on this success, but take it further. And that that is a logical conclusion, but it really took them out of thrash, um, and that would only continue after that once once Max Cavalera left the band in 1997. You know, I I was really big into Sepultura, so, so KSAD it comes out in '93. I actually went to go see the show at a small club, one of the craziest shows I've ever seen in my life. I met the band afterward which was really cool. I didn't get to meet Max, but I did meet Andreas and Paolo and, and Igor. Um, and then, you know, so there was so much, you know, we talked when we were talking backstage, it was like, you know, hey, when's your new album coming out? Because it's already now a year since 
chaos CD came out, and they're like, oh, you know, after the tour, we're going to go work on it because they were really touring the crap out of that album. So, you know, 95, 96, they're working on Roots. And as much as the producers and, and the record company pushed them to do it, it obviously they had to be open to, 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 to something like that. And, I, and, and they were already in that groove sense. And one of the things was, the the name roots kind of tells you a lot about it. If you listen to Arise or even and more so on Chaos AD, you could there's that tribal drumming that Igor plays that is amazing. I love how he plays drums. Mm-hmm. So with roots, it's literally going back to the roots. They went to the jungles of Brazil and met up with some of the tribes there, and they and some of the music shows up on the album. There was that inspiration from those tribes that they had, that they got that basically put the whole album together. Uh, I mean, it's not every song, but you can tell that there's a little bit of tribalism inside a lot of those songs, and they definitely did get back to their birth roots for that for that matter, from where they are, where they're from in Brazil. The album is not bad. The album was was an international success for them. But the unfortunate part was there was a lot of inner turmoil with the band and the band fired uh, Max's wife. And in turn, when Max said, well, if you're going to fire my wife, I'm out of here. And he left. And from that point forward, they had Derek Green on vocals and they've released, you know, eight, nine albums since then. And it's it's been an up and down career for them. You know, they they rendered themselves irrelevant by changing their their core sound you know from going from death metal going you know from death metal to thrash metal and then from thrash metal they blended in with groove metal which wasn't so bad because you know pantera is is still liked i mean they're the masters of groove metal but they they started you know as a glam band and kind of combined glam with thrash and groove and that's what they that's pantera so groove metal is not a bad thing you know, but yeah. then then they also combined new metal, which is like ah shit, here we go. <laughs> and that's where things went a little south for them. And that whole time that that, that early two thousands was not kind to Sepultura, and they've tried since then to to make changes to to get back to what they used to be. Just the unfortunate part is because they're they're not well. I guess I don't want to say not well known, but they're not well uh, accepted here in the states. It's going to be hard for them to to really gain that momentum and that footing back. Yeah, I mean, if they they've maintained popularity across the world, um, I I personally like some of the newer stuff that they've put out, but it's not quite reached the levels of, of Chaos AD and Roots. And and part of that is Max leaving the band. I mean, he was a big part of their sound. And he carried that on when he went to Soulfly and created that band. Real, real and quick, so so you understand the difference with with Sepultura, okay? When they released their album Roarback, they did a cover of Piranha from Exodus, but they also did a cover of U2, um, Bullet the Blue Sky. So that that tells you how far they're expanding their musical tastes. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, you know, a lot of bands are going to sit there and say, yeah, I like this band, you know, but they're not necessarily going to record a version of, of the song. You know, very few bands can get away with that. 
you know, Metallica gets away with it, you know, uh, Anthrax kind of gets away with it, but you couldn't see Slayer doing, you know, a YouTube song, <laughs> you know, it's just, they're not going to get away with it. And I guess that's the same thing with, with Sepultura, but right. You're, you're correct. Uh, they, they lost everything when out, when, when Max left and Max created Soulfly and Soulfly to me is pretty cool. I mean, Soulfly, honestly, when they're first formed, were not a thrash band. So there's really not a lot of way we can talk in in this context talk about those first few albums uh but when when they hit in 2005 with dark ages uh they really kind of started to bring in the thrash sound again it was kind of a thrash groovy album and then in 2008 with conquer that to me that was a, a great album um charted at number 66 on the billboard 200 and really established uh you know max back into his thrash roots you know there's there's a lot of of uh discussion about you know the first album okay to me the first album for slow fi is an extension of roots okay whatever direction roots was going in mm-hmm. yeah i agree that, that that first album was an extension of that and there's, I mean, there's some stuff on there that is groove metal. You know, when you, when you listen to something, uh, I can't remember. There's a, oh, there's a song called Bump Clot on there. You know, there, there's, there's uh, another song that, that, that they literally reference Hootie and the Blowfish on the song. And mm-hmm. to me, that's, a, that's a, almost a thrashy song. The song remains insane. That's a thrashy song. But the song like "Eye for an Eye" is totally right out of Chaos AD Roots era, uh, Roots era stuff. I mean, it's a really killer song. So there's some good st- that that song is just a, a a blend of lots of different styles that basically Max was getting off his chest. And I'm I'm personally a huge fan of that album. Um, I'm a huge fan of their second album, Primitive. I like that album. Now, that one I could understand where there's some there's some. Uh, there's some tie-ins with new metal. I mean, definitely there's some rapping in there. Definitely there's some. Uh, Corey Taylor from Slipknot was just, you know, was just becoming quote unquote famous. He, you know, Slipknot had just released their first album or or were about to, but they were label mates. They were on on uh, Roadrunner. So, and he does a he does a, a guest appearance on that. So, their primitive is even more eclectic than the first Soulfly album. But it's still good. I mean, it's not thrash, so it's not part of yeah. this conversation as a whole. But they do move towards a thrash sound, and they go. They it's like they get harsher and harsher and harsher every album. Well, I think that's part of it. It's just that th- that's his roots. That's what he played before. So it's not it's not really going away. But it's not they're not thrash albums per se. It wasn't like I said until until two thousand eight. And, and that makes sense because, again, we're talking about heading back towards the, the 2010s where that sound is really resurging. And I think same as, as any of these other bands we talked about, Max was gearing back towards that direction because that's what he started with and and needed to get back to. There's stuff on Omen and Enslaved that I like. I like stuff off of Dark Ages and Conquer. And you is definitely right that that 2000, I think really the resurgence started before 2000, it was 2008 where everything started to really click for these guys. 
And so ever since then, so, but it, the, the definite, um, I guess revival really took place when, when the decade turned. Uh, but I guess it really started around 2008. It, mm-hmm. You know, Conquer is a pretty decent album. I mean, there's some stuff on it that I like. Um, but they've gone away. Like the the you know Archangel and Ritual. Apparently, Ritual's got some good reviews. I haven't really listened to it too much because I've been I was so turned off by Archangel that I was like, yeah, this is this is too brutal for the band that I used to love so much. So I have to give it another listen to now because you know my taste in the last couple of years has changed. So I'm going to definitely listen to it to see you know can I accept it a little bit more. But I've heard good things about Ritual, so I got to give it a more of a chance. Yeah, I I haven't kept up with them as much. I I wasn't a huge Soulfly fan. I liked the next band that we're going to talk about a bit more. Um, but but yeah, I just for for me, I kind of fell out of, of both of those bands around the uh, you know the time. Um, so moving on to the next band is another Max Cavalera project. Uh, but this time with his brother Igor, when they they kind of rekindled their their friendship, um, their brotherhood, and that was Cavalier Conspiracy. Uh, they came out in 2008 with Inflicted, and this was this was a, a really good return to form. I think it was, you know, Max was doing his thing in Soulfly, and them being back together again after so long uh, when when they had done uh, Sepultura. This was their chance to kind of go back and, and do something as, as a reformation of Sepultura in a way, at least early Sepultura. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a welcome addition to the to, to the, the family, if you, if you could say. Inflicted is a really cool album. Um, I, there's some songs on there that I really, really, really like. The, the stuff that I really, really like, I would say Gather tends to be more of the groove metal because it, it's it's just got some really good grooves on it. Um, but it, overall, it's a great album. Um, and you could see that, you know, getting back with his brother had a, had basically it was a, a burst of, of creativity and there's some really good stuff on this album. Uh, and then the second album as well, Blunt Force Trauma, is another one of my, you know, favorite Cavalier Conspiracy albums, and I know you're the opposite. You like the stuff that came later, which is fine. Um, it it was just I like the groove metal stuff more than I do the thrash that they do. I like I like both of those albums. I just also really liked Pandemonium. I thought that was that was a in, really interesting move for them because, um, <laughs> interestingly enough, the the album was originally going to be called F That Groove, and I'm censoring it, but because <laughs> they were kind of like. You know, we've done groove metal for so long. Let's let's do a thrash album. Let's do a brutal thrash album. And that's exactly what it was. And I, I really liked that one. Um, Psychosis, I haven't really listened to as much. But uh, but they're a band that, that I could really appreciate because it was more along the lines of what Sepultura was doing before they broke up with Max. Right. So, yeah. I mean, again, Max, Max has very eclectic tastes and you know i guess he he's gone back to that where you know that that whole death and thrash stuff because that's really what it's all about now you know and and the groove metal is kind of kind of passe it's old news type of thing but thrash is thriving again so you know he's gonna make a thrash album and it's great i, I don't blame him at all 
All right. So speaking of Groove, um, we gotta we gotta at least mention the kind of kings and progenitors of Groove, and that would be Pantera. Um, you know who who doesn't know Pantera? I mean, we did a full episode on vulgar display of power versus far beyond driven. Uh, so definitely check out that episode. Um, but Cowboys from Hell, you know, the band had been around since 1983. They'd done four four glam albums, but uh, the, everything changed with with uh, Cowboys from Hell. And we have to mention that because so many of these bands that we talked about, Overkill uh, and, and Sepultura today, uh, for example, both had developed some groove tendencies, and that came after Pantera released Cowboys from Hell. So these bands adapted to to survive and not necessarily just to survive, but heard that sound and said, man, that's that's killer. We want to incorporate that into our music. And and Pantera was the were the guys that that really made that big. You know, when 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 Cowboys from Hell came out and no one. No one said, "Oh, that's groove metal," because that's not that didn't exist. You know, it was yeah, every, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing, right? Yet. Every yeah. every genre is created. The name is created much later, you know, and because quite honestly, I didn't hear about groove metal for oof, a while. I mean, yeah, uh, to, they were heavy metal, you know, and they were thrashy in in many cases, depending on what you were listening to, but. What really was exciting about Pantera was the fact that they could groove. Um, they were riff. It was just based on a single riff, or one or two riffs tops on the song, and that was that was awesome because you create this melody off of this really head banging groove uh, riff that's on that 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 Dimebag was playing, and so it, it was genius for them. They they create they created some really really good groovy music you know and they essentially started a genre that they had no intention of starting they were just enjoying themselves up there because this is what made them feel good and mm-hmm. and it worked you know and and the funny thing is i always say this you know they they had those first four glam records so let's let's throw that out because that doesn't count when it comes to what they've produced after cowboys but every album from cowboys to vulgar to Far Beyond Driven, to Trend Kill, got more and more brutal as as time went on. Now, they still had some groovy songs. They still had some some killer grooves on the songs, but those that, those first tracks, man, they just kept getting more and more brutal. And I'm like, can they get any more brutal? And then Trend Kill comes out. I'm like, holy shit, yes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but they went back as, a, as an overall thing. Um, for reinventing the steel, they really went and they they just were totally grooving the whole album. You know, some people like that album. Some people, it's one of those weird 50-50 things. There's a, a core amount of people that like them and is or like that album, and there's a core that's just like it, this is not Pantera. I personally am in favor of the album. I like it. It's one. It's not a bad album at all. So no, I think I think it was the logical direction that they were going. Um, for me, I like the earlier you know cowboys from hell vulgar display of power and far beyond driven more than the last two albums but uh i mean again it's it's all preference you know um but yeah for the for the, i felt like we just had to mention them because they were such an impact on all these these thrash bands and they did have thrash elements of, in their music i mean they weren't like you said 
they weren't defined as groove until later. It was, you know, looking back and saying, okay, that's that's what that was. That It was groove. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so the next band uh, we want to mention briefly is Machine Head. Um, 1994, they released an album called Burn My Eyes, which was a huge release for them. I mean, for, for Roadrunner Records, this was their... Uh, best-selling album before Slipknot released their first album. Um, This was a groove and thrash release, um, but it's funny. They released in 1997, The More Things Change, and that could not be more descriptive of of this band because they they went from being a thrashy, groovy band to really changing their style into new metal, rap metal, you know, just... Very different direction. When when this album came out, I was still working at the record store. Uh, when specifically talking about uh, "Burn My Eyes," and I got a promo of Davidian uh, as a single pre-release, and I put that on, and I'm like, "Man, this is a killer song!" And it sounded great. It you know it, it had a cool hook on the chorus, and I'm like, "This is cool," and. Then they decided to piss all over themselves and and put out crap. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they thought they were doing, but you're a brand new band. You can't change mid shift in the middle uh, on your second album. I mean, that's like, oh, we've we've got these fans, but we want these fans too. Well, screw the other fans, man. I don't know what the hell they were thinking. I mean, it wasn't as uh, as drastic a change as would come the album after that, but you could see it was just like it was not the same. And I was like, "Come on, man!" It, it went from you know you had so much hope with Davidian, and then it was like, "Eh," it just it, it killed it for me. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly, and I'm not speaking poorly of the band because they have their own fan base and they have their own fan base in in new metal, etc. Um, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about them because most of their albums would not be considered thrash. No, they'd um, be considered trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do want to speak poorly of them. <laughs> so. I, I, you know what? I, I, dude, you know what? They they reinvented themselves with thrash when they came out with The Blackening and mm-hmm. Unto the Locust. Those were good albums. Those were thrash albums. I mean, those were some serious thrash albums, and I like yeah. the Blackening a lot. And I, they they have some killer B sides on it, some some cool bonus tracks, you know. And then Bloodstone and Diamonds, that was a, it, it wasn't as good, but they still were thrashing. And then then they just shit all over themselves again with Catharsis. I'm like, come mm-hmm. on, you know, like what do you? Why do you think Phil Demo left and has and wants nothing to do with with Rob Flynn? Because Rob Flynn doesn't know what the hell he's doing. You know, it's like yeah. There's a lack of direction. I mean, there. I I don't I don't mean to 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 shit on Rob, but the the bottom line is is if you're gonna be a certain type of band, be that band. You know, you already went through that change, and and why why are you gonna do it again after you after you obviously saw the success that you had as a thrash band for those three mm-hmm. albums, and all of a sudden, eh, no, I'm gonna go new metal. Why new metal is not is not coming back. Okay. As, as much as, as much as corn still exists, they they're, they haven't done anything good since, you know, uh, what, you know, since, since not monkey, I was, whoever their guitar player was left and came back, 
you know, when he left, that was the end of their good stuff. He came back, it still hasn't gotten any better. Yeah. So, you know, they they've gotten de- they've they've done some good stuff and then you're going to go ahead and say midstream, you know, we're going to change again. You know, it no, it doesn't work that way. It's hard to follow as a fan when the the band keeps going in different directions. Yeah, and now the band really is a is. whole new band again. So, it's just Rob Flynn. So basically, it's just the Rob Flynn solo project. Go good for it. <laughs> then don't call it Machine Head. Call it Rob Flynn. Call it Flynn right, Flynn Rider. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So one more band we want to mention that we've talked about before, uh, not specifically on on these last two episodes, but uh, we d- we talked about uh, the difference between the singers, and that was uh, the Haunted. Um, I wanted to mention them because they were from Gothenburg, Sweden. So um, they they are involved in that whole Gothenburg scene. However, their first album and their 2004 release, Revolver, uh, were very thrashy. And they're, they're a, a band from another part of the world that we, we, you know, just to kind of mention that this was happening all over. In 1998, they released The Haunted. And uh, this was a... a had Gothenburg death metal elements to it, but the vocals were really not death metal. That they were, they were a thrash band essentially on their first release. If you listen to the episode where we talked about the haunted, you'll hear us talk about exactly this whole scenario with them, going with the different singers, and so we go into a lot of detail on those on those two albums. Uh, on, on during that time period, those two singers. The first album from The Haunted and, yes, Revolver are super cool records. There's some other stuff in there that's not bad, you know, with the, with the other singer. But it's one of those things where, you know, those two albums are really, really good. Um, and I was telling you today, you know, over the weekend I was listening to my, my Spotify playlist and a couple of Haunted songs come on, came on and I'm like, hey, this is really cool stuff. Who is this? <laughs> And I, because I didn't recognize it right away, because I'm like, I know this is something I put on here because obviously I made the playlist, but I'm like, yeah, yeah. you know, there's been so much stuff that I've added that I, I couldn't, I, I knew I recognized the song, but I didn't know who it was. And then I said, oh yeah, this is yeah, the haunted. It didn't immediately come to mind, right? And I, and I'm like, I like this. This is cool. You know, it fits perfectly with everything else I listen to. So yeah, I, I like that first album from the haunted. Yeah, I mean, they they definitely moved more into death metal with their second singer Marco Aro. Uh, I like those albums a lot, but again, we're mostly just talking about thrash and, you know, it's influence in, on the world and, and, you know, the direction that these bands went. So, uh, again, I don't want to delve too deeply into that. You can check out the haunted episode for that, but I just wanted to touch on that because again, it was just another place in the world that was, was getting more thrash in that, that time period, the resurgence. Um, so I want to mention a couple bands we're not going to go over in, in great detail, but uh, there was, you know, Shadows Fall. I know you're a fan of them. Uh, they're more metalcore, but they, they were early kind of metalcore thrash crossover. Um, Trivium in 2000, again, metalcore, but, but with some thrash elements to it. Uh, there's some death metal thrash. Uh, definitely check out Skeleton Witch if you haven't heard them. They're a band out of Ohio uh, from 2003. Um, you know, really good melding of thrash and heavy metal, like new wave of British heavy metal sound. Uh, very cool. Uh, one that I really like, and it's it's 
parody music as well. Uh, but Austrian Death Machine from 2008, that's Tim Lambesis' side project before he went off the rails and, and uh, you know, did what he did. But uh, uh, it was it was a fun project where he's he's singing like, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger or, or singing Arnold Schwarzenegger li- lyrics while doing impressions of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> but it is a thrash death crossover. And then there's some, some more modern thrash bands like Warbringer and Power Trip. If you haven't heard them, uh, check them out. But they're crossover thrash. So still, you know, bands coming out that, uh, you know, there's even more than these. Like thrash is not dead. And all, all of this resurgence from the big bands really paved the way for a lot of smaller bands to make their way into music. The, the, the resurgence, like we talked about, you know, 2008 for thrash metal. I mean, somebody, somebody's... Um, new wave of American heavy metal bands, which is basically another way of saying metalcore. <laughs> um, the big bands were Lamb of God, Shadows Fall, God Forbid. Uh, those bands, there was an element to them that they, they, what made them interesting, especially for me, like with Shadows Fall and God Forbid specifically in this particular case that I'm talking about, is that there was, a they, they took elements of traditional heavy metal, almost Iron Maiden-ish, some thrash in there, and they they melded it with a, a modern style, which basically turned into metalcore, and that's what I liked about them. Um, and then you know the, the whole metalcore was, to me is like so many different styles, you know, between death metal and thrash metal and and even traditional. And I say traditional, and I, the first thing I think of is Iron Maiden, that style of music, mm-hmm. and and so those bands were destined to be good and somewhere along the way they all just kind of didn't really go anywhere and it's 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 kind of sad i mean there's very few bands that really made it out of that that early new wave of american heavy metal scene and that became the the metalcore scene not a lot of bands made it lamb of god is still kicking you know so they you know they they're they're still they're i guess they was i would say they're the leaders i mean hate breed is still kicking but hate breed is sort of like black Sabbath of heavy metal, you know, they're, they're, they are the fathers or godfathers or grandfathers of, of metal core. So they're, mm-hmm. they're still around, but you know, for the most part, the scene is, is, it's not dead, but it's not, it's not thriving, but you know, some of those bands are really good and they, they did touch upon thrash. I would, you know, pick up some of these albums that we've just mentioned and you, you get some good music out of it. Oh, for sure. Well, that leads us to talking about the big four and where they were at this time. Um, you know, I, we're going to go in the same order we did in the last couple episodes with Metallica starting off. Um, I kind of think maybe you want to talk about them because they are your your, your band. <laughs> All right. So we're going to put it this way. Okay. Metallica is not a thrash band. They haven't been a thrash band since 1998, okay? But they have elements. And, and uh, 19, 1998 is really pushing the limits because some people say, well, they haven't been a thrash band since 1983. Did I say 98? I said I meant 88. They really, you know, at, when they made Ride of Lightning, they had thrash songs, Trapped Under Ice, Fight Fire With Fire. But they also had songs like For Whom the Bell Tolls, and uh, the Call of Cthulhu, and 
fade to black. And they brought that formula again on Master Puppets. And then they they enhanced that formula and made it even more progressive on Injustice for All. But that was it. The, the last thing to touch on Thrash was Justice. When they released the Black Album, there was nothing Thrash on it. There were some cool riffs, but drumming-wise and, and just as a cohesive song, there was no Thrash on there. That's fine. They didn't do any. They became a, a alternative metal band, you know, for, for Load and Reload. And they did some covers. They did a cover album. They did a symphony album. And then everything went to shit. Okay. Jason quit the band 20 years ago last week. In, nine, in 2001, he quit the band. In the midst of getting ready to do their next album. The next album that would come out from Metallica after they survived their, um, basically their meltdown and James's rehab and all that stuff, was Saint Anger. And while there are some things in there that you can call thrash, there are some things in there you can't call thrash. Um, there's some things in there, you know. Again, the the eclecticness that they've always been associated with, it's just really out there. Sound-wise, production-wise, song-wise is, you know, I'm 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 a fan. It's not their it's not their shiningest moment, I tell you that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then they, you know, they rediscovered themselves in 2008 when they came out with Death Magnetic. And the first time I heard My Apocalypse, I was like floored. I was like, "Oh my god, they're back. They're they're a thrash band again." Because My Apocalypse is pretty much a thrash song. And then you get to the rest of the album and you're like, okay, so they're they're Metallica, they're doing their thing again, they're doing some thrash, they're doing some metal, they're doing this and that. So now you've figured out, or they have figured out who they are. That's awesome. What year was that? 2008. Okay, what happened in 2008? Mm-hmm. Everything started to resurge again in this genre. And it's the first full album, or the first album with Rob playing bass on it. Um, he joined the band at the, at, you know, after the recording of Saint Anger, and, and he's been part of the band ever since. But you can hear Rob on here, which is amazing. <laughs> you can hear bass, yeah. but it wasn't until Hardwired in 2016 where they they really they found out who they are. You know, Hardwired is a thrash song. Um, that's for sure. You know, just like it, along the same vein as My Apocalypse. But the rest of the album is not thrash. So, you know, why are we talking about them? Because you know what? They were the kings of thrash at one point. You know, the kings don't always have to be exactly what they, what the title says as far as what, what they are. But they, they are because, or they're titled that because they can do it and they do it just as good as anybody else. You know, I mean, there's thr- there's thrash drumming throughout the album in different places. I mean, there 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 are thrash elements all throughout the album. So I wouldn't say it's not it, like that's the only song that's thrash. No, but, but but for sure, like this, they did return to their thrash roots here. It's not a, a strictly thrash album by any means, but it, it definitely is along the lines of what they were doing with with Master of Puppets and Justice for All. You know, yeah, for sure. You know, they 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 they. They found what they do best, and they really put out a very good album. So mm-hmm. I I look forward to what they they're just supposed to release um, through this pandemic. I mean, 
Lars Ulrich said the other day that they're moving at a glacial pace. So that just means that it's really slow and they're not going to do anything uh, anytime soon. But once they decide to get together, I have a feeling it's going to flow, flow fast and it's going to be good because there's a lot of stuff to be pissed off about right now. Oh, for sure. So in the same vein, we're going to move on to Megadeth. Um, Megadeth released in 2001 the world needs a hero it was a good album it was a but it was a heavy metal album um you know i have nothing negative to say i really like that album but again it's not really thrash they hadn't quite moved back into thrash from from their early uh their earlier records where they had really devolved and changed their their style um you know this this was the end of the the first run of megadeth because uh Mustaine would sustain an arm injury uh, due to a relapse that he had following a kidney stone removal. Uh, he got he got back on drugs, um, you know, that was kind of related to the medication that he was taking from a kidney stone removal. And then when he was in rehab, he actually fell asleep with his arm on a chair and caused a, some nerve damage that caused him not to be able to use his hand. And that really, he just said, you know what, we're done. And broke up the band. Didn't really talk to anybody. It was it was kind of a, a bad situation, and led to some some issues with him and David Ellefson following that. Uh, and then when in 2004, he he was actually going to record a solo album, but due to obligations from the record company, had to release it as a Megadeth album. So uh, this was the first album that did not feature David Ellefson. Uh, in 2007, though, the band would kind of reform in a way uh, that th- this was Megadeth again, and it wasn't just a side project. And this was the first time that they had Sean Drover and James Lomenzo, and that was U- United Abominations. And it was also their first true thrash release since really <laughs> uh, peace. Uh, sorry, rust in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> since rest in peace to or nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Am I saying that right? No, that, that was um, countdown to extinction. But I mean, rest in peace was a thrash album from beginning to 1990, end. Nineteen ninety. Yeah. Nineteen ninety. Sorry. Yeah. Nineteen ninety. That was in ninety. Nineteen ninety two. Countdown. There were some thrashy songs on there. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah, I mean, this was a, a huge return to form, uh, and and really like the start of a new era of the band uh, because Glenn Drover was on this album, but he would be replaced by Chris Broderick uh, for Endgame 13 and Super Collider. Um, now, Super Collider in 2013 is not a thrash album by any means. It is a heavy metal, hard rock album, and it was it was really a huge downturn. And, and not only was Dave Mustaine not really satisfied with the album, I think he realized that it was time for for a change at that point, um, and and I have to mention also thirteen was the return of David Ellefson, so his influence on the band was very very much felt. Thirteen was a, a pretty good album, um, but it wasn't till two thousand sixteen that I would say is the real return of Megadeth with Dystopia. That's a killer album, and it's a true thrash album. Uh, I I can't say more good about this album it's their band's first grammy win um they actually did 
uh, have 11 unsuccessful nominations before that, and this was a big deal for the band. You know what's funny about that Grammy win is that when it was in that, because it was done on one of those side stages and stuff. It wasn't on the main event. Because it's metal. <laughs> it What was funny is when they won, you know, you know the, and the, the Grammy goes to Megadeth, and they start playing a Metallica song. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. That was hilarious. That was pretty funny. That was really funny. You know, funny. and that's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it it's it ha- only happens to Dave, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned before with Super Collider that he wasn't too pleased with it, and I'm like sitting there going, "But well, dude, you wrote the songs." You know, so it's well, it's true, <laughs> but you can you can still put out a project that you don't you don't feel great about. Like, you may feel great about it at the time, but there's there's also factors in your life that you're saying, well, you know, this is this is the best that we're doing at this time. And I think I think that's really what happened with Super Collider. It became more and more evident. Like they, he had a good relationship with that band, with that group, but it was just not working, and they weren't putting out good stuff. So it was time for a change. And I I totally get that. Yeah, and and Dystopia is a phenomenal album. It's great. I love the album. It's it's a return to form, you know, all the way back to Rust in Peace to me. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's it's almost a logical step in that era, the 1990, 1992 era. You can almost put Dystopia mm-hmm. instead of uh, Euthanasia and it'd be a, a lot better sequence. I'd I'd be a lot happier. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I've I've had my words to say about Dave. You know, he's he's. To me, the the problem with Dave too, I just thought about that is he's so he, he's so reactionary. You know, the, the fact that yeah, he 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 injured his arm, and oh, you know what? I'm just going to end Megadeth because I'm retiring. But rather than thinking out and saying, okay, maybe if I if I rehab this, let's see how it goes. Put Megadeth on hold for a bit. You don't you don't have to sit there and disband everybody. Well, I mean, he was also recovering from a drug addiction, so you you got to put yourself into the mindset of the guy at the time. Oh, well, right, you and know, that, but just, that's that's been him his whole career because of those things, and it's unfortunate. You know, luckily now he's he's in a better place, so that's great, and it, it shows. I mean, there's some great music that's come out, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I I like it. I mean, like I said, I can't. There's nothing bad I can say about Dystopia. I love the performances on it. It is incredible. I mean, with Dave and Junior, and then you've got uh, Kiko, and you've got um, Chris Adler. You know, I mean, it, it was great. I saw Chris Adler live. I mean, it was a great show live to see. Nothing that could take away from that. And Chris Adler couldn't continue with his commitments. Um, he had Lamb of God he had to deal with, so he ended up uh, giving up the drum chair to to Dirk, and that's great. You know, Dirk is amazing, and I think right. Oh yeah, he's. I think he's a great drummer. Yeah, I think Dave is more than happy with everybody he has in the band. So let's see, let's see what this new album comes out and how it I'm sounds. Excited. Yeah, I mean it should oh, be coming I'm out so this year. Excited. All right, so we're gonna go to number three of the big four, at least in our list, and that's uh, Anthrax. Uh, in 2003, they came out with "We Come for You All." Now, this was the last studio album with John Bush on vocals. Um, you know. We've talked about the the Joey versus John, uh, you know, situation with an episode in the past. So again, be sure to check out that episode. Uh, but uh, 
you know, this this was a really good album, and to me, it was very disappointing that this was the final album with John. Uh, I mean, technically, they released Greater of Two Evils in 2004, uh, which was a cover album of, of Joey material with John on vocals. Um, but, man, it, it just, that whole situation just kind of rubs me wrong, where they reunited with Joey, uh, kind of saying F you to John in a way, and then asked John to come back, and then pissed off Joey, and, like... It, yeah, it's just a weird situation with Anthrax. Yeah, you know that's the one thing. You know, for being one of my favorite bands, their their decision making sometimes just leaves you befuddled. And you you have all the success with "We've Come for You All." I mean, they really had a lot of success. Now, could they have had more? Yeah, because there's some good songs in there that are not thrash. I mean, "Safe Home" is a song that um, my wife and I have dedicated to each other. Because it's such a really good song, the words behind it, it it's amazing. It was it was on a CD that we that we put out for our, for as a wedding gift to all our, our attendees to our wedding, and that song's on there. So you know, but it doesn't sound like a, a crazy ass metal song, you know. It's not a thrash song, but it's 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 cool. And that album, I mean, there was some really good stuff on the album. That, very similar to how I could say with Metallica is where they're all over the place. They're eclectic. You have good songs, slow songs, thrash songs, you know, other songs, speed metal songs. I mean, Black Dahlia is this crazy ass, you know, song that they have on there. You know, then they, then they do a really good cover album of John doing Joey stuff. And there's some songs in there that I actually like better than the original. And then someone throws an idea out hey it's an anniversary you can get joey to sing whose fucking idea was that you screwed everything up Mm -hmm. but in reality i don't think anthrax would be where they are now if that didn't happen either that or they were able to adapt because they were put in that situation okay but at the same time you know john had his things i don't know if john would be still wanting to do what the what the band has done because his life has changed a lot and that's you know either because anthrax you know let him go or or because you know i i don't want to go through that rigmarole again so there's lots of things that could have changed could have been different but you know what the good thing is we're here now they released worship music. They released for all kings, and those are two damn good albums. Yeah. They, it, so for following their reunion with Joey, you know things didn't work out. They hired Dan Nelson, which we've mentioned in the past. Who? Um, <laughs> it was a bad situation. Um, they even went on that metal show introducing Dan Nelson, um, but you know it just it just wasn't a good fit. Um, the album was delayed due to issues with him, um, but they end up firing him and rehiring Joey and re-recorded, changed the lyrics, uh, you know, put out worship music. It was a real true return to form and it was just, you know, it, it made a big difference. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes and said, you know, like, oh man, this is, this is Anthrax. This is awesome. Um, For All Kings was their follow-up in 2016. And it was a great follow-up. It, it it follows the same, you know, vein. Not a whole lot of change, but 
you know, no complaints. It's a good album. For All Kings. Okay. So Worship Music comes out and that's that's outstanding. I love that album. I love the first half of it more than I do the second half of it, but still I I love the whole album. For All Kings, there's there's things throughout the album that are really 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 good. Um I don't personally think it's a stronger album than Worship Music, but it's still really really good. So it's nice to see there's some that's this is the first time in the career of Anthrax, that there has been two albums back to back that I would sit there and say there's consistency between them mm-hmm. yeah. in terms of overall feel for the songs, uh, overall production. You know, they've had really good production since we've come for you all. Um, so that's the that's been a good thing. They've actually found a, a good groove in which they they make records. Sound wise, it's it's amazing. So I like that, and I really like you know worship music and for all kings. So I'm really kind of excited for what they're going to put out. Uh, hopefully this year or the, or the beginning of next year. Uh, there's to me for for me is a lot of excitement. I got to meet the band again. I think I've met them two or three times over the years, and I've got to I got to meet them during the worship music tour. I went backstage. Got them to sign my jacket. It was really cool. So I'm I'm really excited. The, the future for Anthrax is good. And it's funny because they're one of the vets. They're one of the big four. But they, they finally found a focus and they have been consistent. And that's super huge and important. Absolutely. All right. So the last of the big four uh, that we're going to talk about, obviously, is, is Slayer. Um, 2001, they released God Hates Us All. Uh, this is the last album with Paul Bostoff until Repentless. And for me, it just, I, I don't like this album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a thrash new metal album. It's following up, uh, what was that in Musica Diabola or whatever. Diabolos and Musica, yeah. Yeah, just garbage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it, it at least is better than that. You know, that's all I can really say. About I don't, it. <laughs> I don't know exactly if that's one hundred percent true, but <laughs> God hates us all is a tough listen. Um, not because it's Slayer, it's just because it's it's not what you expect out of Slayer. Put it that way. Yeah, uh, you know, two thousand six they released Christ Illusion, and to me that was like that was the return to form. I really like that album. Um, Dave Lombardo was back on drums. Uh, this was number five on the Billboard 200, so big, big boost for them. And I mean, it's the really their first thrash album, like full, full thrash album since 1994 with Divine Intervention. I like, you know, so researching for this show, um, I know we we're talking about the Big Four, and I was like, I had to get, I had to get some listens in on Slayer and Christ Illusion. Um, is a is a good album. I'm not going to say real good album. I'm not going to say it's a great album, but it's a good album. What I like the most about it is it sounds like a thrash album. Okay, there's a huge, huge distinction between Dave Lombardo and Paul Bostoff. Mm-hmm. And I got nothing against Paul Bostoff, but Paul Bostoff is not a thrash drummer, in my opinion. He doesn't play thrash the way it's supposed to be played. Dave Lombardo to me, is the king of thrash drumming. Okay? He sits up there with the crown, and there's no one that's going to take it away from him. 
because he's so damn good at it. There is such a noticeable difference in the drumming from one album to the next. It's incredible. And you listen to it and you say, that is what a thrash drummer is supposed to sound like. And that's what is on Christ's Illusion. It's missing on God's Hates Us All. It's missing on Divine Intervention. It's missing on Diablos and Musica. I mean, everything's missing. But it's on there on Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's there on Christ's Illusion. It's there on World Painted Blood. And I, I, let me, let me give some props to, to Paul Bostoff because he made an attempt on Repentless to sound thrashy. It's just there's just it's just a different physical form of playing the drums, and he has his own style, and that's the way it is. But he at least tried. I give him. I that mean, much. he's a good drummer. I mean, there's no denying that. Oh no, I can't. No, absolutely. Paul Bossov is a hell of a drummer. Okay, but when it comes to playing the style of thrash, that that is specific to thrash, it, it's not there. I mean, he played with Testament. But his playing on Testament is straight up metal, metal drumming, or you know whatever you want to call double bass drumming, because his drumming style was so different from Louis Clemente, mm-hmm. you know, and you could tell. But man, you could—I mean, Dave, Dave has such a distinct sound. I mean, you you hear the little ride. He loves to play the ride when when he's playing as fast as he's playing. You hear a ride in there. I mean, it's pretty pretty impressive, and. But Dave also has the chops to be a, a, a regular speed metal drummer, you know, or, or a death metal drummer if he wants to. He's got those chops. I mean, he plays double bass really well. But he has a very distinct style about how he plays his double bass. It's not the way other guys do it nowadays. It's very specific and distinct. And I love, I mean, you can almost tell Dave. You just put on a record, you say, oh, that's Dave Lombardo. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I 100% agree. Even his his stint in, in Testament is the same way. And right. I, I would say Dave Lombardo's in, you know, with one of my top drummers, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's a great drummer. Uh, I always was very sad that things didn't work out between him and, and, and Slayer because I really felt like he was the best fit for that band. You know, for him, for him not working out, I... Th- I Sometimes when I think about that situation, because he, he basically wanted to, he told the guys, hey, we need to look at our books here. We need to figure out what's going on financially. And the fact that they fired him and they didn't really, you know, they, he didn't like the, the financial commitment that they were offering to him when they went to Australia. There's something there to, to me. It wasn't about Dave being a dick and it wasn't about Kerry being a dick it was and to me it's more about carrie being a dick than dave it's you know they carrie and tom have said hey dave made his bed and he lied in it I, I don't know there's something there's some truth to what dave said about it and it's unfortunate that it had to come to what it ended up coming to mm-hmm. where he left the band so all right so they did christ illusion and then they did world painted blood which like we said was the last album with dave lombardo um, but it was also, unfortunately, the last album with Jeff Hanneman. Uh, he would get sick in 2011, in which Gary Holt would join the band as a touring member. Um, but he passed away in 2013, and uh, it was really felt across the metal community. Uh, they would end up hiring Gary Holt 
as a full-time member of the band and try to continue on. They did one more album, Repentless, in 2015, which personally I'm a big fan of. I, I think there are some some issues with the production as far as like it's not as strong of production as their earlier albums, but I really do like it. Um, and I, But I think that that was really the tipping point that just said this was time to hang it up because what Tom Mariah says is that he really did all of the writing on that album. Carrie King says it was both of them. Uh, so there is a difference of opinion there. And I think Jeff was really the, the glue that held the band together and it just wasn't really possible for them to continue as a as a, a band that was putting out new albums. Um, but also I think they had, they just kind of reached a point where they, they weren't able to continue touring either. So it was this, they're the only one of the, the big four that is completely dissolved at this time. Yeah. It's unfortunate that it, 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 that they have retired. If you want to put it in, in those terms. Um, I, I mean, it's well known for many, many years now that Tom Mariah wasn't, happy with the touring and he he wasn't happy with the direction that Slayer's been in for a while I mean it's weird you know you you have different priorities you know uh when you're a kid and then you know now you're an adult with with you know family and all that stuff so uh, but he maintained a good face on it he, he he sang the lyrics that they offered him and that was that and so when it came down to the business of Slayer uh it came down to Carrie and and Tom and Carrie's a certain way and Tom's a certain way. And they, they, you know, they tried to coexist as far as, you know, keeping Gary Holt and Paul Bostoff together, you know, as Slayer. It, it is what it is at this point. Um, we will never see Slayer back together again. They've, they've made that perfectly clear. <laughs> so somewhere deep inside there ended up being some sort of problem that has gotten between Carrie and and Tom that is not resolvable at this time and that, yeah and you know unreconcilable right and I, and I you know what quite honestly I think it goes back to the Dave Lombardo thing and the finances that's just the way I feel about it I mean that's my opinion I don't have any concrete fact or anything like that but I think there's something that Dave touched upon that has struck a nerve with either Tom or, or, or Carrie, one of the two. So I don't know. Uh, I believe it's more with Carrie than, than, than with Tom, but so be it. It, it. The album, I think the, the part of the issue with the production of the album is that it wasn't, you know, they, it, it says here that it was recorded in, in Henson studios in Hollywood. Um, maybe they used the same place for some of the songs, but implode came out a lot earlier than the rest of the album. So that, that, one tells you a little bit there that they they were recording this at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, it also sounds a little bit different. So there's they definitely were not uh, set up and stayed set up. It was set up and then it broke down and they reset it up. And um, Terry Date did a good job of producing it, but it's it's a matter of you know there was there was some erraticness to it. But it's it's one of their better albums. I can tell you that. Yeah, especially in in recent years since they're they're you know, reunion. I did like the last three albums as a whole. Um, I was glad to see them return to their thrash sounds and more, you know, more, more brutal sounds rather than God hates, hates us all to me, uh, was more angsty, um, 
cheesy and I was I was glad to see them kind of go out on a good note even though it was the passing you know with the passing of Jeff so um that really wraps things up for our three-part episode of of thrash that that was a long a long series uh we did de- we definitely touched on a lot of things when it comes to thrash metal uh from the big four all the way to where we are now um it is it is definitely something that we we barely scraped the surface because it, as much as we you know we dug deep there's things we could go deeper and deeper and deeper if we wanted to and maybe we'll do that in, in a in a future episode or future episodes but we, we tried to give everyone who's listening a good idea of thrash metal what our opinions are of certain musicians certain bands certain songs certain albums and hopefully everyone enjoyed it it's it was a long one it's probably closing in on a total of about five and a half hours worth of information but hopefully everybody enjoyed it I mean, I, d- I definitely did. I, th- I thought it was really fun to go over these and, you know, kind of see all the connections and and the same thing with the glam episodes. We did a two part on glam, uh, but really seeing like where the connections were between the bands, what was all happening at the same time in the world and the change of the mindset, you know, the, the different genres that were popping up that would affect the this particular genre and it's it's continued uh progression and it was just really fun to see all those those you know connections absolutely i i love it it was this was a great great series i look forward to more like this all right so that brings us to today's big four and this might not be a fun one per se i think i'm gonna have some fun with it but some people might not like it and i'm not saying you or me uh it, it is the big four worst big four albums so much like we did in part one of this where we picked the best of the big four uh big four albums so you know we picked one album from each of the big four we chose their best album now we're going to choose their worst album and we're going to rank it so number four is going to be the best of the worst and number one is going to be absolutely the worst worst of the worst of the worst worst (laughs) when it comes to the big four albums so i believe you went first last time so it's my turn to go first this is one of these where it almost got to a point when i was looking at my list i'm like I don't know which one of these sucks more than the other. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, let it be said, we're obviously, we did five and a half hours on this topic. We are huge fans of the big four. We're huge fans of thrash metal, heavy metal, and all that stuff in general. So everybody's going to have an opinion as to what album is the best and what album is the worst. Okay. That doesn't mean that we hate them. Well, maybe we might hate the album, but <laughs> it doesn't mean that we hate the bands. It doesn't mean that we're disparaging the bands whatsoever. We're giving our opinion as to, hey, maybe this is just one of those that at that time, it just didn't cut the mustard. Well, I so, think some of them suck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, they do. Um, so this is weird. You know, it, even though it's four, three, two, one, this one, they're really close they're really close with each other. I mean, it's one they could all be like one and one point one, one point two, one point three, one point four. That's how bad and and good they are at the same time. Um, my number four album is going to be Anthrax's Stomp Four Four Two. 
I, I had to, uh, it was, it was a battle. They were literally battling head to head to see which one sucked worse, volume eight or stomp two, four, four, two. And there's really good things on both albums, but there's some real crap on both albums. <laughs> and the thing that really picked me with four, four, two was that it was the middle of the nineties. New metal was popular and there was a little hint of rap from John on the on on four four two more so than on volume eight, and I think that's really what set it apart for me. And I had to pick it as the worst album. I I Number get that. Th- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number three, and you're and this is definitely debatable as well for me. I I'm not the biggest fan of Slayer uh, when it comes to everything they've done, and I have a lot of their stuff, which is weird, but God hates us all. It just sucked. I, I listened to it today. I'm like, there's nothing redeeming to me on this album. And maybe Diabolos and Musica is just as bad, but I didn't give it enough of a listen to sit there and say, yeah, you know what? This is worse. But, you know, listening to the God Hates Us All and then Christ Illusion, I was like, ooh, Christ Illusion is so much better. It's so then, much better. You know, and and I was just like, "What are they doing? What, what what's going on with this album?" So I picked "God Hates Us All." Um, it's really bad. Um, if you like Slayer, you you probably like a couple of songs in an album, but it's not worth the rest of it. So, number two for me, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm actually, you know, on the fly, I'm going to switch it right now. My number two is Metallica, Saint Anger. It is. Uh, it, it was a, a poorly executed album. I put it that way. They wanted to try and make a garage out al- or garage band album. The sound did not come across that way. They wanted to try and, and write songs all together. Yeah, lyrically in a couple instances, it worked a couple other instances. It was like, yeah, no, stop, stop, stop. Um, they, they were wrong to not put guitar solos on the album. Another bad decision that they made. So it was just one decision after the next, after the next, after the next, just kept shooting them themselves in the foot. But to, for me, there were some good songs on there. And just unfortunately, overall, it's just not, it's, it's the worst out of all their albums, put it that way. But number one, Megadeth, Risk. It sucks. And that's all <laughs> I have to say about it. <laughs> just don't like it i can't i can't do I, it i get it completely i can listen to saint anger a hundred times and i won't listen to risk nope i get it <laughs> sorry all right what's your worst shit <laughs> <laughs> so for my number four i picked the anthrax with volume eight um now i agree with you on the rap stuff um but volume eight was just one that I just could not really get into at all. Uh, um, you know, I've said in the past that it has some redeeming qualities. It does. Uh, but it was just, I, I just can't listen to it. It's just one of those that's just so unremarkable as a whole that I'm not going to waste my time. And that's why it's got to be on this list. Uh, Stomp 442 I listened to more because it was following up Sound of White Noise. Uh, I had to give it more of a chance for that reason. And it just, I don't know, something about Volume 8 just, no. They lost me by that point. 
Um, number three is Slayer, Dia- Diabolus, and Musica. Um, what a piece of garbage. Uh, number two is <laughs> <laughs> number two is uh, Megadeth with Euthanasia, and I'll tell you why I like Euthanasia less than Risk. Um, it's because that one song you like. <laughs> no, it's not even having to do with that. It, it technically Risk is a worse album, but Euthanasia just disappointed me so much. It was like a betrayal, you know. I can see that. Yeah, it, it it's just I hate the album as a whole. Um, I know, like my buddy George will disagree with me because he is you know he has some good things to say about it. But for me, after Countdown, Euthanasia was just no, I I could not do it. And so and George likes Euthanasia. He likes certain songs on it, like I threw them on and you know stuff like that. But. Um, I just I just can't listen to it. For me, it was it was just that moment where the band just lost it for me. Um, you know, so I just I that's my personal feelings get involved there. And for number one, it's the same thing. It's 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 Saint Anger with Metallica, and it may not be like the worst album ever by any means, but for me, it was just that that disappointment because. We had been waiting so long for a Metallica album, and by the time it came out, when Saint Anger came out, I I remember just telling all my friends at school, you know, Metallica is finally releasing an album. I'm so excited. They said it's going to be a garage band album. It's going to be thrash again. You know, we were just so excited. And then I bought the album. I went. I I I skipped school to go buy the album. I was so excited. I put it in the car in my CD player with my with my cassette deck that I had to, you know, connect <laughs> through the CD player and I was just what is this? You know, just my the disappointment was just it carries to this day when I think about the album when we have conversations of the album and that's why <laughs> yeah. it's that's why it's number one is it may not tef- technically be worse than the others but it's that feeling the you know that the the disappointment that was carried with it and I was so glad when when uh uh death magnetic came out in 2008 but at the same time I had I had just you know, it really took some time for me to get into it. Like it took a year really before I, I even gave it a really solid chance of listening because I had, I had been burned so bad with St. Anger that I just, I, I was like, I, I don't want to listen to it. I don't care. <laughs> I, 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 I totally get what you're saying because it, it, it for me, it, I had, you know, being a fan of Metallica, I was kind of like, listening to it and i kept hearing oh yeah they got blast beats on it and it sounds like they're in a tin can and so i i was kind of prepared for a really rough sound Mm -hmm. i wasn't prepared for that that barrel sounding snare uh you know an empty barrel sounding snare but i at the same time i was kind of like almost knew something was going to be different about it yeah Uh, and me being a sound guy i was very disappointed with the fact that it sounded that way on the flip side, the guitar sound good. Um, the, the vocals are a little way too much in the face. Um, but it, it is, 
it, I, I had it in number one for me. And I moved it to number two because I looked at risk and I'm like, just no, I, I don't listen. No, to I, shit. I I totally get that. It's it's a fair choice. I mean, there's there's no there's no denying that risk sucks. I mean, I I like one song off of the album that that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> I yeah. like one al- one song off of a whole album. That- exactly. And and the funny thing, like I was battling back and forth with volume eight and stomp four four two. And it was the rap thing that did it more for me because the first three songs, uh, I believe it's um, Crush, Catharsis, and then Inside Out. Mm -hmm. I like those three songs. Those are really cool. Like I had a lot of promise for that album. And then after that, it went so far downhill. It was like they went off the the roller coaster, went straight 90 degrees down. I was like, what the hell? You know, and then really it never came back. But those three songs are so strong. And the same thing kind of was Stomp 442, but I realized, like, I really like the song Random Acts of Senseless Violence. But if you listen to it, it, John's just rapping the whole time. I mean, it's John's version of rap. It's not, you know, Chuck D. Yeah. And you've you've been a fan... You've been a fan of Armored Saint and Anthrax for so long. I, I can imagine how that would be kind of an affront to your senses. <laughs> I mean, again, he doesn't do a bad job, but it was like, yeah, it's just it's too still. much of it. Yeah, <laughs> it was too it was too much of it, and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm going with this one. All right, that brings us to the end of our three parter: thrash metal, the big four, and more. Remember, if you like what you heard today, be sure to check us out on social media and leave us a comment. Make sure to tune in next week when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and remember, always turn it up to 11. See ya.